एवरी वन सो हेयर इज द लास्ट कल बाई नादिया मुराद पार्ट वन चैप्टर सेवन आई होप यू आर गोइंग टू लाइक इट सो लेट्स गेट स्टार्टेड चैप्टर सेवन द सीज ऑफ कोचो लास्टेड फॉर क्लोज टू टू वीक्स सम डेज पास्ट बाई इन वन बिग ब्लर एवरी मोमेंट जस्ट लाइक द नेक्स्ट वाइल अदर डेज आई फेल्ट एवरी सेकेंड लाइक अ स्टिंग इन द मॉर्निंग द इस्लामिक कॉल टू प्रेयर एकॉर्ड फ्रॉम द इस्लामिक स्टेट चेक पॉइंट एस साउंड दैट ऑल थो Unusual for Kocho, I knew well from studying Islam in school and traveling to Sinjar city. Their older Yazidis would complain about hearing the call to prayer. Sinjar is no longer a Yazidi city. They would sigh, convinced that we all would soon be confined in our little villages and towns, while the more desirable parts of the Yazidi areas were left to the richer and better connected Arabs and Kurds. Still, I was never really bothered by the call to prayer. until isis came to sinjar with them surrounding us the sound became maniacing one by one relatives began pouring into our house zilan hajni's wife abandoned their nearly completed house just outside town to join us and cousins and half siblings came from all over the village carrying small suitcases or food and formula for the babies Shirin Saw's wife had just given birth and when she brought her squealing pink newborn to us the women surrounded the baby which was like an image of hope our few rooms filled quickly with clothes and blankets photographs and valuables anything they could carry during the day we huddled around the television looking for stories about the massacre of Yazidis in Sinjar it was like something out of a nightmare Airplanes could not fly low enough to properly distribute aid and the enormous mountains seemed to swallow the packages of food and water as they fell. Yazidis frantically tried to board Iraqi army helicopters that landed on the roads cutting across the mountain top pushing babies and the elderly on board while the soldiers pushed back shouting that there was not enough room. The helicopter cannot take off with this many people they yelled a logic that did not matter to the frenzied people on the mountain top we heard that one woman determined to live on a helicopter dangled for a moment from the landing skid as it lifted off before she lost her grip and fell someone said that when her body hit the rocks below it looked like an exploding watermelon Hasni had only narrowly made it to the mountain before ISIS took over Sinjar city. After his police station was evacuated, he took off walking with another policeman toward the mountain. Not wanting to leave any weapons behind for the terrorist heading to the city, each of the men in his unit left holding a rifle with pistols tucked into their pants. It was hot and dusty on the way. and they were scared and sure where the militants might be hiding or where they would be coming from about half a mile outside zanab they watched as an islamic state truck drove up to the town city mosuk and then as the mosuk crumbled in an explosion switching direction along the highway they narrowly missed being discovered by three trucks full of islamic state militants who would only a few minutes later execute the man walking behind hasni and his colleague i was saved by a miracle my brother would later tell me on top of the mountain the days were brutally hot and the nights freezing they had no food and people were dying of dehydration on the first day displaced yazidis slaughtered the sheep 
they had herded up the sides of the mountain and everyone ate a small ration of meat on the second day hasni and some others crept down the eastern side of the mountain on foot and went to a small village that isis had not yet reached there they filled a tractor with raw wheat which they boiled back on top of the mountain giving everyone a cup just enough to fill their stomachs one day some militants from the ypc the syrian branch of the pkk or kurdistan workers party a turkey based kurdish guerrilla army brought bread and food from syria eventually the ypc with help from us air strikes cleared a path for the yazidis from sinjar into the kurdish parts of syria which had been kept relatively safe since the beginning of the syrian civil war their kurds aligned with the pkk had been trying to establish an autonomous region ISIS shot at the Yazidis as they fled but tens of thousands were able to make it off the mountain and into relative safety Hashmi fled the mountain to our aunt's house near Zakho as Yazidis made their way through Kurdish Syria and into Iraqi Kurdistan the Kurds living there most of whom are Sunni drove to meet them delivering food water and clothing others opened their homes stores and schools to the fleeing Yazidis it was a show of compassion that still moves us today before the mascaras i had not given the pkk much thought they did not have a large presence in sinjar and even though i would sometimes see images of them on kurdish television men and women in baggy gray uniforms kneeling beside their kalashnikovs somewhere in the kandil mountains on the border with iran they did not seem connected to my life and neither did their fight against the turkish government but after they saved the yazidis stranded on the mountain the pkk became heroes in sinjar replacing the peshmerga in the minds of many as the protectors of yazidis their involvement would end up inflaming tensions between them and bazani's party the kdp which still wanted to have the most influence in sinjar making our home vulnerable to a different kind of war one that began unfolding over the next few years but at the time We were just grateful to the PKK for helping Yazidis off the mountain and for sending hundreds of soldiers to fight on the front lines against ISIS in Sinjar. There were no sign however of help coming to Kocho. Each day one of my brothers would go to the Jewat and come home with news and none of it was hopeful. Kocho's men were trying to figure out a plan, they said, but no one outside the village was willing to help. Maybe the American will use their planes to free us like they did at the mountain, my mother said. The only time the Islamic State militants who surrounded Kocho seemed scared was when they heard the sound of planes or helicopters. Or maybe the PKK will come here next, she continued. But my brother, who were in touch with Yazidi translators, who had worked with the U.S. Army and were now in America, quickly lost hope that either of those things would happen. Airplanes and helicopters flew over us, but they were heading to the mountain, not to Kocho, and we knew it, it was unlikely that the PKK would make it to us. The PKK militants were brave and had been training for a long time. They had been fighting the Turkish army for almost half a century, but they were mountain fighters and would not be able to overtake ISIS on the flat plains that connected us to Mount Sinzer. Plus, Kocho was now in enemy territory far enough south to be out of reach. We were now here. For a long time though, 
be held out hope that the americans would come to break the siege of kocho my brother zalo the one who had been stationed at tel afar airport after the us invasion had a friend in the united states named heather elias a yazidi who had been granted asylum in houston because he worked as a translator for the americans they spoke every day usually more than once although heather cautioned zalo not to call him he was worried that if isis checked zalo's phone and saw a us number they would kill him on the spot Heather and a group of expert Yazidis were scrambling to help Yazidis in Iraq, petitioning the governments in Washington, Erbil and Baghdad from a hotel room they had rented in Washington, D.C., but they were making no progress in Kocho. Salo answered every phone call from Heather immediately and his hope was quickly replaced with expiration. My brother had been with the Americans when they had raided houses looking for insurgents and knew what they were capable of when they were on the ground. Zalo was sure that if the United States sent soldiers to attack Islamic State checkpoints around Kocho, they could break the siege. Sometimes Islamic State members would complain at the Jeevet about the American operations in Sinjar to save the Yazidis, calling Obama a crusader. When this happened, Zalo told Heather, I think they are losing control. They will probably let us go. A few days earlier, some Islamic State militants had taken Ahmad Jasso, who felt sick, to a nearby town for treatment. Why would they do that unless they planned to keep us alive? Jalo asked. Jalo loved America. Before the siege, he would call Heather in Texas to ask him about his new life outside Iraq. He was jealous that Heather was going to college in America, while Jalo had not even been able to start high school. Find me an American wife, Jalo joked, someone ugly and older who will marry me no matter what. Heather had less faith in the Americans coming to help us in Kocho. He thought that if anything, ISIS might retaliate against Kocho because of the air strikes. Be careful, he told Zalo. They might be fooling you into thinking they are weaker. They won't let you go, my friend. Everyone involved seemed overwhelmed by what was happening all over Iraq. The media were not even reporting on the siege of Kocho. They are changing the Prime Minister in Baghdad, Elias said. They don't have time to think about us. So we waited. The village was quiet and the streets were empty. Everyone stayed inside. We stopped eating and I watched my brothers grow thin, their faces pale. I assumed that the same thing was happening to me, but I did not want to look in the mirror to check. We did not bath and soon the stench of all our bodies filled the house. Each night we climbed up to the roof after dark so that militants would not see us where we slept shoulder to shoulder. We crouched low to the ground while we were up there trying to hide behind the roof's short wall and we whispered quietly so they could not hear us. Our bodies tensed when Shireen's baby, unaware of what was happening, began to cry. None of that mattered, of course. ISIS knew we were there. That was the point. ISIS held us prisoners in our homes while they carried out the genocide as we were in Sinjar. They did not have time yet to take care of us. They were busy confiscating the city homes and filling bags with their jewelry. 
car keys and cell phones busy rounding up the Yazidis cows and sheep to keep as their own. They were distributing young women among militants in Iraq and Syria to be used as sex slaves and murdering the men who might be old enough to defend themselves. Thousands of Yazidis had already been killed, their bodies swept into mass graves that ISIS would try and fail to keep hidden. Our last hope for outside help was with the neighboring villages where our Sunni Arab friends and Kiriv lived. We heard stories of Arabs sheltering Yazidis or driving them to safety, but we heard many more stories of them turning on Yazidis, handing them over to ISIS and then joining the militants. Some were only rumors and some came from people close to us whom we trusted and so we knew them to be true. One morning, one of my cousins took his family to his grief's house, desperate for help. The family welcomed them and made them feel safe. You can wait here, they said. We will help you. Then they reported my cousin to the Islamic State commander who sent militants to capture him and his family. My, brother, my brothers called everyone they could think of in these villages, climbing to the roof where there was better call reception, and most of the people they reached sounded genuinely worried about us. None though had any answers or could think of ways to help. They told us to stay where we were. Be patient, they said. Some of our Muslim neighbors came to visit us while we were under seas, bringing food to the village and telling us that our pain was their pain. They laid their palms on their hearts and promised, We won't abandon you, but day by day they all did. Our Sunni neighbors could have come to us and tried to help if they want. If they knew what was going to happen to the women, they could have dressed us all in black and taken us with them. They could have just come and told us matter-of-factly, This is what will happen to you, so we could stop fantasizing about being rescued. But they did not. They made the decision to do nothing and their betrayals were like bullets from the real bullets came. One day I went with Dimal, Khairi, Ilyas and Khalid, one of my half-brothers, to our farm to get a lamb to slaughter for dinner. Unlike the adults who had no appetite, the kids cried for something real to eat and without any food coming into Kocho, we had to sacrifice one of our lambs. There was good cell phone service at the farm and Elias brought his phone so the man could continue to call for help while we got the lamb. We had just heard that my nice Basu was captured by ISIS trying to escape to the mountain from Tal Kasab where she had been tending to a sick cousin and then taken to a school in Tal Afar. The school we were told was painted red and was full of Yazidi girls and women. I remembered that one of my teachers, a Sunni man called Mr. Muhammad, was, fa- was from Talafar and I thought he might be able to help us find Basu. Many of our teachers were Sunni Arabs from outside Kocho, mostly from Mosul. We respected them and treated them as part of our village. With ISIS now in their hometowns, I thought about what they were going through. None of them had called to see what was happening in Kocho. At first, this worried me. I could not imagine what it must be like for them having to escape ISIS or worse live under them. As the seas wore on though, I started to wonder if the teachers were silent not because they were living in fear but because they were happy that ISIS was there. Maybe all along they had considered their students like me to be kufar 
just a thought made me feel sick to my stomach i had all my teachers phone numbers written down in the back of one of my textbooks and i used elias phone to call mr mohammed after a few rings he picked up marhaba ustad mohammed i said addressing him politely in arabic i thought about the days i would spend in mr mohammed's class trying to follow his lessons knowing that if i passed i would move up to the next grade closer to graduation and the rest of my life i trusted him who is this my teacher sounded normal and his calmness made my heart race nadia ustad ji i said from kocho nadia what is it he asked his voice quickened slightly he sounded cold and impatient i ex- explained that basu had been captured by isis and taken to talafar they said that the school is painted red i told him that's all we know we cannot leave kocho daesh has surrounded the village and they said they will kill anyone who tries to leave can you help us talk to boss basu do you know where the school is for a moment my teacher was silent maybe he could not hear me maybe daesh has cut service or maybe elias was out of credits when mr mohammed finally spoke he sounded like a different person from the man who had taught me only months before his voice was distant and cold i cannot talk to you nadia he said in a whisper don't worry about your nice they will ask her to convert and someone will marry her he hung up before i could respond i looked at the phone in my hand a piece of cheap useless plastic the son of a bitch elias said grabbing the lamp by the collar and steering it toward the path home we have been calling and calling and none of them are responding in that moment something within me changed maybe forever i lost hope that anyone would help us maybe my teacher was like us scared for himself and his family and doing whatever he needed to do to stay alive or maybe he had welcomed isis and the chance to live in the world it envisioned one guided by their brutal interpretation of islam a world without yazidis or anyone who did not believe precisely what they believed i did not know but in that moment i was sure that i hated him thank you for joining me